All right, so let me tell you about this series called Dangerous Deals. And I've got to take you, some of us, back a little bit. Do you remember um, the show Let's Make a Deal? Who was the host? Monty Hall. Hall. Good job. All right, so Monty Hall, and who was by the curtain? Carol. Yeah, because it's like, this, I hope that wasn't her real name. i just saying, because Carol Merrill, by the curtain there. So here's how the show worked, because some of you may not have seen it, and you're just on the younger side. Uh, it was the stupidest show on the face of the planet. <laughs> because the audience would come in. Like, if you came to church, you were the audience. You would come in with all kinds of stupid, whatever you could find, big, loud things on. And then Monty would walk through the audience, and he'd grab somebody, and he'd go, I have in my pocket $200 for you. And you go, $200, this is awesome. And then he'd go, yeah, but you can trade it in. Let's make a deal. You can trade it in for what's behind curtain number one. There's Carol Merrill standing there. Curtain number two, she just walks over to the other curtain. Or curtain number three, would you want to trade that $200 in? And the person never knows what they're doing. And the whole show was based, did they make a good decision? And then we watched the commercials for whatever is behind the curtain. So it was a scam to begin with. And people watched it. And I'm going to tell you this. The very people watched it today are complaining about reality television. (laughs) But they watched that. And I watched that. That was so stupid. All right. So that's what what the show was. Now, I wouldn't, I no desire to ever be on that show. But if I was on that show, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to be friends with a producer? Right, because behind some of that curtain is like, oh, you just chose a pig. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do with that? Or a dud prize, and there's one that's really good. And wouldn't it be great to have somebody in the sidelines while you, Monty's talking to you, and they go, do you want what's behind curtain number one? And you look over at the guy, the producer friend, and he goes, <laughs> well, you want behind what's curtain number two? And the guy goes, right? How about behind curtain number three? And he goes, and it opened up, and it's a brand new car, right? And why did you win it? You won it because you know the producer. He's got the inside information. He's the one who parked the car there earlier this morning. He's the one who writes how this whole thing works. And he's advising you on how to get through the game and come out ahead at the end of the game. For us, that's God. And dangerous deals is basically there's some things that you're going to have opportunities to make deals in your life. I have the same opportunities. And it's looking to God and saying, and he goes, no, don't do that. That's a dangerous deal. Don't make that trade. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks of looking at different things that God, not in condemnation, not in judgment of us, but as a coach to us, just says, no, you don't want that. That's going to take you somewhere. You're going to end up with just a lousy pig. Now, if you're a pig farmer, my apologies to you on that. But you're going to end up with, with the dud prize, and you'll miss out on the, on the great stuff that I have for you. So today, our first dangerous deal is the temptation that we're going to have to save, to, 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 to give up the eternal things and trade them in for temporary things. To be distracted by the temporary and miss out on the e- e- eternal. Now, when I first started thinking about this message, my heart, I'm just going to be candid with you, my heart was kind of like, well, I got this one down, right? I don't do this. I don't get distracted by tempor- temporary things. Come on, I gave my whole life to God, you know, and I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I've, I endured seminary. If that's not giving up on stuff, nothing is, right? Kind of, I learned Greek. I don't know it anymore, but I learned it at one time, right? So, and then as I started to get a little bit deeper, I go, oh, no, I'm working on this one. This is, it doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are. 
And by the way, it doesn't mean I'm super spiritual mature. It just doesn't matter. It's, it's irrelevant. We live in this world, and if you live in this world, there's going to be times you're, you're, you're working, and sometimes it's really, really subtle. So let me tell you a, a story, and it's about my mom. I'm going to cut to the end, and then I'll come back to the beginning. My mom passed away 21 years, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, from cancer, right? But let's go back before that point in time. And by the way, my mom was a, a very devout Christian woman who had experiences with God that I envy her for. She was, she was just one of those people that God, she, God whispered in her ear and weird things would happen kind of person. So when she was 18, 19 years old, she met my dad. And it was at a dance, and they, they had these things called dance cards. And she's, I don't even know what that means, but there's a line on it where there's a blank, and you got to put guys, a boy's name or something in there. So my dad wanted to be, and she said, no, I don't like this guy. I'm not going to know. But he was persistent, if nothing else. And so finally she said, yeah, and they danced, and the rest is history. They, they, they dated. They fell in love. But 18, 19 years old, then, so she was there when my dad went to college. And they were married. And so she's working. She went to some interior decorator school, so she was doing that kind of work. And my dad was going through college. He finished college. Then he went on to medical school. She kept working, putting in medical school. And that's when, you know, they start to have a child or two. And then he comes to, that was all in Canada. Then they made the most brilliant move. They came to Minnesota. And he, he specialized in obstetrics and gynecology. So my dad's an obstetrician. And my mom kept working while he was, because he's not getting paid much when you're doing all that residence work and special, all that, however that works, to become, you know, the doctor type of thing. And my mom's got four kids, three boys, and then has, has a girl. For practice, oh, you guys don't know, do you? I'm a son of an obstetrician. That means I never saw my dad in the evenings. He was gone almost every night. There'd be a point in the night where my mom could put her hand out and the bed would be empty. Because you women have your babies at night. <laughs> and you're destroying our family. Okay? It's okay. You're creating your own. Um, so, but that was kind of, there was one weekend, my dad, I, I just remember this, where he delivered 17 babies in a weekend. No, it's okay. There were more than one mother, so it's all right. Um, <laughs> so he's, 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 that's his life. And, and my dad made it to very few of my hockey games, because the job was that kind of job. It was just always, and he was teaching medical school and all that kind of stuff. So he was very busy with that, but my mom was, for all practical purposes, other than money, she was a single mom. Now, single moms, I get it. You got to worry about the money too. She had a husband, and he was out earning a living, and she was fine. But she had three boys. We were all teenagers at the same time. I mean, this poor woman. But she kept the thing going, and she's a single mom, and and then when she hits 65, 66, they discover cancer. All this time she's been going, and you need to know this, and she's looking forward to the day when my dad stops working and retires because guess what they're going to do? They're going to travel the world. they got eight weeks in Mexico. They've got places in, in every continent that they want to go see. Right? They've got all these, these dreams. They want to do medical missions for a part of it. No, not permanently, but for a part of it. And my mom had made so many sacrifices. My, there was two years when I was a kid when we went to Okinawa. My mom did not want to go to Okinawa, but she prayed as a child, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, but not the Far East. By the way, Okinawa is like next to Japan, just so you know what we're talking about. And 
She didn't want to go there. It's the tropics and hot, and she can't do that really well. But she did two years just because she's that person. She went where she didn't want to go. And now she's got cancer at 65, and at 67, she dies. And she went to heaven, right? Every time I talk about my mom and her death, I've always said, my mom got ripped off. She was there for all those years, and now that you get to the dad, just he just retired, and within six months or a year of that, my mom dies. And from a human perspective, I'm thinking she just got ripped off. She just got ripped off. And I've over the last 20 years, I've told the story. I say she got ripped off. And you probably, I hope you can go, I can see how you would say that. Can I tell you, if my mom could be with me right now, she would slap me upside the head. <laughs> and she would say, are you kidding me, Doug? Don't you believe the stuff you're teaching? Don't you believe that to die is gain and to live is to serve Christ? Don't you believe that w- when you're in heaven, it's you don't look back and go, oh, I, w- I wish I was back on earth. Really like to go to, on some of those trips. Be nice to be in Mexico. Mexico heaven. Hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Have you been to Mexico? It's not that big a deal, you know. <laughs> and here's the point. It's very, very subtle. But I'm, I'm seduced by this this life, this temporary stuff. I just thought my mom got a really bad deal. And I'm telling you, she would say, no, I didn't. Here's what I forgot. I forgot that all of this, all of this is temporary. All of this is, is just a, the best moments we have are just a hit. And they, they, they're a shadow of what's better to come. And this is something that Jesus warned us about. He, he was saying, hey, the things of this world, the things of this world, you've got to be careful because they're going to be out there like, let's make a deal. If you will be distracted from the things of God, your treasure, for the things of this earth, right? And that's going to happen. Here's a, actually, here's how he put it. He said, hey, let me just give you a warning. He's talking to people who are thinking about following him. They're just thinking about it. And he says, Put your treasure in heaven. Be very careful because whatever your treasure is, I mean, take a look. Can the moths eat it? In the future, will, will it rust away? By the way, if anybody's looking for a car, I got a deal for you. Okay. <laughs> Can someone break into your house and steal it? Can somebody mismanage our business in our country and have your stocks drop 20% in a single year? Can that happen? Right? Something, too many of you are nodding. Stop it. It's okay. Right. Here's how he said it. He said to the He says, don't store your treasures up here on earth. Don't store your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. It's exactly what I just said. And where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. By the way, that is scriptural evidence. There are no bugs in heaven. No moths at least, right? And I'm sure mosquitoes are damned forever. Right? Well, I tell them to go. Anyway, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your hearts will be also. Whatever you chase, your heart is going to have passion for. So one of the tests, if you want to go besides moth and rust, 
right, and thieves, is I think the real question is, how does what you're chasing and what you value, how does it survive time? This is one of the little tests of things that we start to chase. So I really want this, and I'm chasing it. I'm working really hard for it, but here, or I'm going to make this big decision. So will it matter two days from now? Will it matter a week from now? Will this decision, this thing, will it still be attractive a month from now? Right? A year from now? In 10 years, what will this, will this even matter in 10 years? And then you start to get beyond you. A hundred years from now, will this thing I'm chasing after make any difference? And then if you want to get to the Jesus level, a thousand years from now, what in my life will stand a thousand years? What things that am I chasing that will endure a thousand years and still have value a thousand years from now? And at that point, it's very, very few things. But that helps put these things in perspective because if it's, if it, rust takes time. If rust can destroy it, a hundred years from now, it probably won't be there. If moths can eat it a hundred years from now, it probably won't be there. Not a, not a big deal. It's just a thing. Right? But a thousand years from now, now you're getting to a place where you have to find someone help you make those things count. And this is what God does in our lives. Right? So the challenge, the challenge for us is we live in this world, and I don't care how devoted you are to God, I do care about how devoted you are to God, but regardless of how devoted you are to God, or I am, every single day I'm being sold moth food, rust heaps, and things that will be taken away. Every single day. And there are people paid big money to make moth food look very attractive. Oh, I need to wear that and buy that and own that and have that hanging in my closet. And rust heaps, I need that in my driveway. I need to drive down the road in that kind of vehicle. I need to own that house. I need to have those things or anything else that can be taken away that doesn't last. And it's the test of time. But I'm being marketed to all the time. And it's not just Wall Street. The fact of the matter is my own, I market to myself. I fantasize stuff to, to myself. You want to know one of my fantasies? That's a dangerous question. You stop to think about that. <laughs> it's a boat. And I already got a boat. But I don't want the boat I got. I want a bigger boat with a bigger engine that can take bigger waves and I'm going to use it like six times a year. Why wouldn't I want to own that kind of thing, right? So that's, that's, but we're being sold moth food, rust heaps, and things that will be taken away. And everything that I see and touch and smell and feel in this world will be stolen. This is the world we live in. We live in a temporary world, and it gets, it gets worse because we are temporary. So we live in a temporary world where everything is subject to time. Everything will be stolen by time. It's only a matter of time. And I'm telling you that... I, I underestimated it. It is incredibly seductive. Incredibly seductive. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, where nothing can take it away. And thieves do not break in and, and, and steal. So as you've tracked Jesus' life through the New Testament, you find out that he kind of taught that message, that basic message, over and over and over again. And it came out in not just stories that he told, because he did tell many stories that had that was kind of the point. Think about things of God, not just things of this earth. But 
he, he bumped into people, and the story gets retold again. And one of those places is Matthew 19, and I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to put it into my own words, which means that you should probably go read Matthew 19 to make sure I get the story right. Okay, so Jesus is teaching one day, and a man comes up to him, and Jesus looks at him, and you can tell right by the cloth, the clothing that he's wearing, right, it, that number one, is going to be eaten by moths someday, but number two, that this man has some substance to him, wealth-wise. And the man comes and says, hey, teacher, what do I got to do to get to this heaven, this kingdom of heaven that you keep talking about? How do I get to heaven? And Jesus looks at him and he knows from, from the clothing he's wearing, he knows he's Jewish. He says, well, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to keep the law. Follow the commandments. Well, which commandments? And then Jesus lists off like six of them. But none of them have to do with the love for God. They're all the ones about each other. Right? Don't lie to each other. Don't bear false witness. Don't, don't covet what someone else owns. Honor your mother and father. Those kinds of commandments. It's, it's, he skipped the ones of love the Lord your God. Don't have any idols. He skipped those, right? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. He skipped those, and he stuck to the... And the, the man said, well, he's a Jewish person. He goes, I've been keeping all those laws and more since the time I was growing up. I grew up Jewish. Come on, Jesus, you know this. I've kept all those laws. And then Jesus said to him, well, tell you what. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Right? Just go get rid of everything you have. Unload it. Take on simple garb like I wear. Sell it. Give it away. Don't, he's not even asking. He's not, you know it's not a cult because he didn't ask it for him. Any cult leader would say, give me the money. He didn't say that. He said, give it away to the poor. And then come and, and follow me. Right? Come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, there's two ways of interpreting the man going away. The first one is that he went away. This is how most people just read it. That he went away and he said, I can't do that. I can't give that away. And he walked away sad because he couldn't follow Jesus because he loved his stuff too much. The second way of of reading it is that when you go to a rabbi in that culture and you ask a question, whatever answer they give to you, you have to follow it. You're obligated to follow it. So he might have walked away sad because he had to go sell all his stuff. Right? And then he'd come back and follow Jesus. So here's why, I I mean, do I know the answer to that? No, I just know he walked away sad. That's what the text says. But my suspicion is the first one, that he walked away sad because he couldn't do it. And the reason I say that is I think if he would have sold his stuff and come back, someone would have written it down. He would have showed up in Scripture again. Remember that guy? His name was Bartholomew, and he followed Jesus. He sold everything he had. It's an amazing story. This is so cool what God did. Through this. But we don't hear that. We never hear of him again. So regardless, he went away sad. He had many possessions. Then Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person, this kind of world rich, to enter the kingdom of God. Now, here's what the disciples said. They were astounded. Who in the world can be saved? Because they thought that God's wealth or material wealth was God's blessing. And like God's exclamation point, this guy has it together. This guy's really honoring me. This guy, that's why I'm just going to bless him with, with stuff. That was the theological thinking of the day. So they're going, well, if he can't get in, who, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently. By the way, pause there for a moment. Intently, he looked at them. Right? He doesn't say that very often in Scripture. He just says stuff most of the time. No, he looked at them intently, 
Do you know when you look at your children intently? It's when you want them to read your lips. When you want to make sure that you, perm- you get through the skulls, that you hit the gray matter, and they remember what you're saying. He looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Remember that part, if you want to be perfect? It is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And God's saying, you're right, it's very hard for a rich person to get to heaven. But with God, everything's possible, which is really good news for us because we're the richest generation in the richest country on the face of the planet. And even if you lost money in the stock market recently, you're still way up there in wealth, every single one of us, just by opportunity alone. Then Peter said to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? By the way, if you don't like Peter, you should now. Because he asked a question that all of us would like to ask, but we would have chickened out. We would have said, that's not the right question. That makes you sound greedy. That makes you think, sound like you're just into what's... In, oh, Jesus, take my life. Anything I have, it's okay. And he goes, no, no, Jesus, we've given up everything. And it's like, thank you, Peter, for having no self-awareness at all. <laughs> we've given up everything. What will we get? And Jesus didn't go, you selfish jerk. Instead, he looks at him and he says, I assure you that when the world is made new, so sometime in the future, when the world's made new, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, right? Not now, not on this earth. You who have been my followers, specifically the disciples, will all sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, what does that mean? And the answer is, I don't know, and it's not part of this message. But the next part is, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property, anything you own, and the list could go on, anything for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Right Now, the accountants in the room, this isn't meant to be a spreadsheet. This isn't meant to go, oh, wait a minute, how much have I tithed over the years? Multiply by 100. When I get to heaven, Jesus owes me this much. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is something more organic than that. And I'll, I'll spell it out in just, just a moment. But don't, don't, take out, don't sharpen your pencils on it. Right? And he goes on, and this is a concluding statement, but many who are greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem important now will be the greatest then. I'm going to unpack that in just a few minutes. The first part where Jesus says 100 times more, what he's really saying is don't sharpen your pencils. All I'm trying to tell you is it will be worth it. This gift of heaven, this gift of being with me, when you get to heaven someday, you will not be saying, well, you know what? Can I return this gift? You will, you will say, I can't, I way underestimated I underestimated God's love. I underestimated the greatness of heaven. I underestimated the, the love of this community. This is what I was created for. This fulfills every desire of my heart. That's what heaven is. I don't know much about it. There's going to be golf courses, and all your heart's desires are going to be fulfilled. And that doesn't mean you're... That's, that's not for shiny, bright, rusty things. It's for what you were created for. Right? But it's... it's this temptation that we have, it's very hard to live there where we're thinking of our lives in terms of eternity because we live in the temporary. Everything we do is in this 
world of temporary exchanges. And it's extremely seductive. We live in this world. So the temporary is seductive, but it is necessary. Right? So, so here's what some people do, say. With that passage with the man who, go and sell everything you have and give it away and then come and follow me. Some pastors will, will say, so does that mean that we should go sell everything we, we have? Okay, if it's a cult, they'll say, yes, and give the money to me. But if they're just teaching the passage, they'll say, no, you know what it was? Jesus knew this man's heart. And he knew that his things were between him and God. And so he brought that to the man's attention. I'm sure that's true. Right? But, but are we supposed to do that? And they'll say, no, that was for that man. And, and, and here's the practical part. If we all went and gave everything away to the poor and came back to church, we couldn't collect an offering. We'd have to close the building. We couldn't function in our world. Right? So what does it mean? Well, I think it means that we are supposed to give everything away back to God. Everything I have came from God. Is belongs. This is called stewardship. Belongs to Him, and I'm just a manager of it. So when God says, you know, I, I spend some on myself, and I try to do it in a way that honors God. I I save some for the future because I think Scripture is really clear that we should prepare for when we don't have jobs anymore and can't do that anymore. And I give some away. I have a plan that is a wise plan to give away. But then there's also times where God kind of nudges myself or my wife, and we give away more. Now, when he says to give away more, we always ask him twice, right? Because <laughs> we're stubborn, all right? But, but we live in this world, but it belongs to him, right? So we, in a sense, we are supposed to give it all away. But the real danger, the real danger is in your heart and in my heart. It's not the shiny things. It's not the rust things. It's not the things that beat in my mouth. It's wherever your treasure is. This is the deal breaker. It's in my heart. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Let me say, put it another way. The desires of our hearts will determine the direction of our lives. Always. So I could probably look at your life and if I found out what you were chasing and pursuing, I would know about the passions of your heart. I would know what you're treasuring. Right? The desires of our hearts determine the direction of our lives, what we will chase, how we'll spend our lives. We live in a world where it is necessary to deal in temporary things. But it's incredibly seductive. And what it is seducing us from is away from God being our treasure. That's what's... None of the stuff in this world is evil. It can be mismanaged and misused, for sure. The evil part is our hearts. And what we're chasing. And the seductive part is instead of pursuing God, we pursue other things. And, and I think God would say, pursue me first, first, and do what's necessary in this temporary world. But make me your treasure. Make me your treasure. Now, all of us, I said this from the beginning, all of us are going to face this deal, this temptation to trade away the eternal focused life for the temporary focused life. Peter felt it too. And Peter had his solution to it. So I'm just going to read you some verses that I think reflect how Peter handled this. Um, from 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-11, through 11, he writes this, But you are not like that. He's writing to Christians. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. This is your identity. You need to know who you are. You need to live like who you are. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And what he's kind of saying is, how can you chase after things in the world when you're God's people? 
As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. People are watching, and they see God's love and his goodness through us. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. If you're a follower of Christ, that's you. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Do you hear he's driving in on how do you think about yourself? What's your real identity? Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. You are the mercy receivers. And here's the verse I wanted to get you to. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents. As, as people who are just here a little while. This isn't your permanent place. As temporary residents and foreigners. You know what foreigners do? When they, when they make money, they send it to their home bank back in their old countries. They're temporary residents. They're going to be going back. They get people back. They have higher needs than just consuming and using. And spend. They're the best savers, and, but they don't do it here. As temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires, temporary desires that wage war against your very souls. Peter's pretty concerned about this. Hey, think of yourself as temporary residents because this world is going to try to seduce you away from God. It's waging war against your very soul. The, the temporary things are not evil. It's what's inside of us, the love of those things that is the problem. So these temporary things, this world we live in, it's seductive. It is necessary. Right? I want you to save for your retirement. I want you to plan. I want you to live well. I want you to get jobs. All of you, go get jobs. It's good. But it's dangerous. Because in the midst of all this shiny moth food, we can be drawn away from God. Now, how do I give you a tangible picture of what this is? And the thing that came to my mind was the game of Monopoly. And you're thinking, Doug, you have the weirdest mind. (laughs) So here's the deal. I grew up in a family that I told you already, three boys and one girl later on, daughter later on. We were a game-playing family. Some of you understand what that means. Some of you are going, we didn't do that as kids. So we didn't play for fun. It was blood. And sometimes there was blood. <laughs> right? We played, But we played, so Monopoly, I chose a benign game. I could have chosen Risk, <laughs> which is a seven-hour venture. But here's what happens. No matter what the board game is, when I was playing with my two older brothers, often my dad would play too, with my two older brothers, maybe my dad, we'd be sitting around the table playing this game, and I need to tell you that the game became bright and shiny, and the world faded away. Like I lost focus. The only thing I could see during those games was the game. It became my identity. Will I succeed? Will I win? Am I better than my brothers? Sibling rivaling was a part of life. Right? And when you're playing the game and winning the game is the most important thing, the first thing you do in Monopoly is volunteer to be the banker <laughs> with sticky fingers. We, oh yeah, we cheated. No problem. Right? It's not cheating unless you get caught. That was my, my, kind of the way it worked around the table. And we would play the game, and at the end of the game, we would count the money. Monopoly. And whoever had the most money won was the victor, had bragging rights for about three seconds. And then we folded the game up and put it back in the box, and then the world would come back into focus. But for in the game, I lost sight of, of, of everything. Right? Because I was lost in the game. Right? So when I was in the game, the game would define me. 
Was I valuable? It depends how well I played the game. Was I worthy to my brothers? It depends how well they played the game versus how well I played the game because I wanted to be the best, right? I'm the little brother, so I'm always chasing um, them. The desire of my heart. I did not pray during Monopoly. I didn't worship during Monopoly. I didn't think about God during Monopoly. I thought about acquisition and destruction when I played destruction of them, the acquisition of everything that is theirs. That's Monopoly, right? And I lose focus. And then we put the game away and none of it matters. 30 seconds later, the thing I just spent two hours to seven hours playing, whatever game it was, none of it mattered when we put it back in the box. It's a very temporary game. A loss of focus completely while we're playing the game. Now, let me take you to the last verse that Jesus brought up in Matthew 19. He said, many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. You know why? Because this whole thing, I'm not saying it's a game, this whole thing is going to go back in the box. And while we're playing this game, living out this life, we lose focus. And we get lost in it. And we forget about what's really important and what, what life is about. But when, the, when God puts it away, Everything's going to come into focus, and the winner of the game here won't even matter. Those people who think who are important here, it won't be. And all of a sudden, everything's going to get turned, not necessarily upside down, but inside out. The people who are most important may not be the most important. The people who are least important in this world might be the most important. They might win what we can't even see because we're being so distracted by the things of this world. So let me get some to-dos, because this is really a one-point message, isn't it? Be really aware. Really aware of what we're chasing, what our hearts are doing, what we're pursuing. Make God number one. So let me just kind of give the two. Number one is this. Remember Jesus' prime directive. Right? And if I asked you what it was, some of you would say it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's a really, really good answer, but it's not the right one. Oh, to love others as you love yourself. That's a really good answer, but it's not the right one. The right answer is bigger than those two things. You're saying, what's bigger than those two things? It's what Jesus said. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, God-honoring lives. And he will give you everything you need, the temporary things you need in this world. I promise you, if you seek the kingdom of God above all else, loving God will be a byproduct of that. It will be included. And loving each other, of course, is going to be a part of that. But it's, God, my life is about your kingdom. I want you to reign in me, become the person I'm meant to be. I want you to be my king and lead me. Right. So that's a prime directive. So the first thing is, I'm surrendered to that. That's what a Christian is. God, I want your kingdom in me, your reign in me. I want to do what you have me to do here, out there. And yes, I, I, I want to love you with all my heart. And yes, I want to learn to love others. Second one is this. Check for moths and rust in your life. Right? Because I promise you that if you look at your stuff and what you're chasing, you're going to find out sometimes whoa, I'm out of perspective. This is a moth-eaten, future-eaten. This is just moth food I'm worrying about. Or this is just something that in 10, 20 years, 50 years, 1,000 years is going to be nothing but, but rust. And when you start to do the test of time on it, you're going to find which things endure and which things aren't worth the focus. And what you're going to learn is that people and love, God and others, is what lasts. And it is God's kingdom being spread and living in, in us. So check your lives, check my life for moths and rust. They sneak in. If you hear yourself saying that you're, 
your mother would rather be in Mexico than heaven, you're not thinking clearly. And someone's in danger of slapping the side of your head on that one. Remember, this is not my home. Why? Because you're a temporary resident. This is not, by the way, this might be one of the greatest theological statements ever. This is not my home. I need to live like I'm a temporary resident. I need the identity of a temporary resident. This is not my home. Right? It's what Peter said. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. So live that way. Now, I want to help you just a little bit because I think it's easy to forget. So I combined the illustration of Monopoly to this is not my home, and I put it on a card, and I laminated it. As you leave today, someone's going to hand you one of these cards. What do you do with this card? Well, I think there's a lot of places you could put it. One is maybe at your computer where you shop on Amazon, (laughs) and you do your finances, and you check your stocks, and you put it up there, and when the stock market goes down, you look at it, and you go, this is not my home. And when the stock market goes way up, you go, I'm going to get a new home. (laughs) It reminds you, you are temporary, I am a temporary. Maybe you need to put it in your wallet every time you go to pay something with your credit cards or your, your cash or whatever you got going, and you go, this is not my home. It might make you rethink what you're buying, right? And I, by the way, I'm not against buying stuff. I'm going to get that boat someday. Be my friend, you might get a ride, right? <laughs> but I want to live this life. And the game is to remind you of, you can lose focus, it's all going back in the box. right? So you'll get that on the way out. You, by the way, some of you can put it in your Bible, but it assumes you read your Bible. So read your Bibles and put it there. Make it a bookmark. That's fine. This is who I am. This is not my home. Remember Jesus' prime directive. Check for moths and rust in your life often. Remember this is not my home. I want to give you two more things and then we're done. Conclusions about God. The first one is this. I think our lives matter too much to God to waste them feeding moths or letting them rust away. I don't think God is trying to hold back and deprive us of anything. He just doesn't want to see us feed moths and rust our lives away. Our lives were built for more. We're just in the temporary world, but we are not temporary people. And the last one is God is never going to rip us off. Do you know that's the original lie? Remember Adam and Eve? The The serpent comes. And he tells Eve, did God really say? And then he goes on to say, God is holding out on you. In essence, God is ripping you off. He doesn't want you to eat that because then you'll be equal to him. right? God doesn't have your best in mind. And that is a lie from a serpent's mouth. And it's the lie that we all find ourselves believing. Let's pray. God, I do not want to live a serpent's lie. I want to live according to the prime directive. I want to learn to seek you above all else. And I know that I'm <laughs> I'm like that dog and up, you know. Something's shiny. A squirrel. And I chase it. And as I'm running, you're calling out to me, saying, Doug, Doug, come back. And I'm actually running away from you sometimes. And I get sucked into this idea that it, that you want to use me instead of love me when it's really true that you want to love me 
and make great use of my life. God, protect me from, from moth food and from future rust buckets. I don't want to get to the end and have missed the most important thing. I want to live in it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll see you next week.